Amen. If you remain standing for the reading of our text this morning, it is John chapter 10, verses 1 through 5. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. As we come to chapter 10, we need to ask about the setting here. When did this occur? There's a little bit of confusion among biblical scholars on, on uh, when this actually occurs. And the reason for that is, if you look down in verse 22 of John 10, we find a, a change of occasion or location or time period there in 1022. It says, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem, and it was winter. So within verse 10, there is this acknowledgement that we're no longer at the Feast of Booze. We are at the Feast of Dedication, uh, the, the feast that we now know as Hanukkah. Um, so does the setting of the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah start in chapter 10, verse 1? Or does it start in verse 22? Now, if it starts in verse 1, as some scholars suggest, then the, the connection of the good shepherd with thieves and robbers could uh, connect to the story of Hanukkah, particularly uh, the Maccabean Revolt, and when Antiochus Epiphanes IV sacrificed a pig on the altar and established or put up a statue of Zeus in the Holy of Holies or in the holy place. Now certainly then Antiochus Epiphanes could qualify as a thief or a robber. However, I think that if we look at the context here in chapter 9, just knowing that um, Back then, they didn't have chapter headings, so sometimes that can be misleading. And if we come to the end of chapter 9 and the beginning of chapter 10, there seems to be a seamless continuation of Jesus speaking to the Pharisees. And then later in 22, we have a change to a different point in, uh, in the Feast of Dedication. Um, so I think it still makes sense in the context that Jesus is speaking to the Jews, uh, the continued conversation that he was having with them at the end of chapter 9 after he healed the blind man who was blind from birth. So he is addressing the Pharisees. So let's take a running start back in 939 and let's move on into verse 1 of chapter 10. Jesus said, For judgment I came into the world that those who do not see me see may see and those who see may become blind. So we are told right here that the story of the blind man is not just a story about the blind man. And it's, it's a much bigger story about spiritual blindness. And um, 
some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, Are we also blind? See, they picked up on it. Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, that, that you say we see, your guilt remains. And then we have in verse 1, which goes right into, uh, and I think Jesus continues his speech to them, continue talking to them when he says, truly, truly, I say to you. That's one of many that we find in John, right? Amen, amen. This is a saying worth taking note of. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, if you look at verse 7, and we probably should have included that in our reading, in verse uh, 6, I mean, it says, This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus, it's being acknowledged here that Jesus is using a figure of speech. We would also call this an allegory. Jesus is using an allegory here. Um, to highlight something very much like a parable, right? To highlight a spiritual truth through this particular allegory. So Jesus speaks of the shepherd and the sheep, the gatekeeper, a thief and a robber, and a stranger. And um, next few weeks, he's going to be talking more and continuing on with this allegory. But in this allegory, if he is speaking directly to the Pharisees, um, it is very likely that the allegory has everything to do with them and the religious leaders, that they become the robbers and the thieves. Um, So in order to understand, I think, this particular passage, we need to understand two things, and I will give you the background of these things before we get into the text. So we need to understand the scriptural connection to shepherds and sheep. Something when Jesus said that he was the shepherd or talks about sheep, these religious leaders who likely had, particularly the Pharisees, they had the Old Testament memorized. They would have known the connection out of the Old Testament or they should have known the connection from the Old Testament because they were blind they weren't able to really make the connection, or they refused to make the connection that Jesus, Jesus was making for them. And along this, with the scriptural connection, there is a cultural connection uh, with Mid-Eastern, uh, Middle Eastern shepherds and their sheep. So let's look at, first of all, the scriptural connection. Um, the Jews were blind, as Jesus brings out in this text, and they were blind to the fact, they refused to believe that Jesus was sent from God and Jesus was their Messiah, in spite of the fact that Jesus um, reiterated that over and over again in his I Am sayings, and there are many ways that they they should have known that he was indeed the Messiah, but they remained blind. And so Jesus tries to connect them and his identity to the Old Testament. And in this context, in the Old Testament, Jesus plainly tells them that he is the good shepherd. He is the shepherd. Now that should have immediately caused them 
to think about the fact in the Old Testament, um, there are many, many verses that picture Yahweh along with his Messiah as being the true, the, the true shepherd of Israel. Psalm 23.1, we all know this. Yahweh, the Lord, is my shepherd. I shall not want. So when Jesus says, I am the shepherd, he is claiming to be the Lord in 23.1. Psalm 78.52 says, Then he led out his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. So the Lord shepherded Israel out in the wilderness as they came out of Egypt. Isaiah 40.11, this has some messianic undertones to it. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And then Jeremiah 31.10, Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it to the coastlands far away. Say, He will scatter Israel. He who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. And then Ezekiel 34.11, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. So in this scriptural context, and there's more we could bring out, the Jews should have immediately understood that Jesus was claiming to be Yahweh, the shepherd. I am the shepherd. And he, this shepherd, according to Ezekiel, has come himself to seek, to search out his sheep to find them. Remember what Jesus said in Luke chapter 19, verse 10? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34, 11. I myself will come seek and save them. So the Messiah is also known in the Old Testament as a son of David, and he will be a shepherd just like his father. So when Jesus says twice in chapter 10, I am the good shepherd, it is a claim to be Yahweh who has come to save his lost sheep. Now, the second thing we need to understand is how the ancient shepherds kept their sheep. Today's shepherding technique is not the same as it was then. Uh, today's shepherding technique is one of driving the sheep, and oftentimes it is the sheep are driven by dogs that keep them in line and corralled up and all in a group. But shepherding in the ancient Middle East was done different. Instead of driving the sheep, the shepherd would lead the sheep. Sheep are dumb and stubborn animals. That's a terrible combination, by the way, being dumb and stubborn. And if you really think about it, that may be why the Lord equates us with sheep. Because that's us, right? Sheep get scared of, at things they shouldn't be scared of. 
and they aren't scared of things that they should be scared of. If one starts running and maybe jumps off the cliff, it very well may be possible that all of them will follow and jump off the cliff. Um, sheep have been known to get scared and run into a fire rather than run away from the fire. That's how dumb they are. If they are out in the field and to the left is a lush green pasture and to the right is a field of only dirt and weeds, they would just be as likely to go to the left as well as to the right. That's why they need a shepherd to lead them to green pastures. They will not find it on their own. Now, as a shepherd leads the flock, he is always looking for predators, wolves, and the like. And uh, he is looking out into the field, looking for poisonous weeds that the sheep may find and eat. And he's looking for holes and maybe cliffs that the sheep could easily fall into or fall down. And so he's always looking for dangers to keep his flock safe. The sheep are so needy that they could not survive without a shepherd. They have to be shepherded. Their wool will keep growing until they just can't move anymore. That's what they have to be sheared, right? And even the healthiest sheep can become what they call cast. That is, that it can flip over on its back and the center of gravity shifts in such a way that it can't right itself. And if the shepherd is nowhere to be around, uh, around that sheep, no matter how healthy that sheep is, could die just being stuck on its back. Now, all of these facts about sheep has led one Christian philosopher to use sheep as an argument against atheistic evolution, right? His argument is that there's no way that sheep could have evolved and survived on their own without human beings being there to shepherd them. I think it's a good point. Now, in the ancient Near East... The shepherds would bring their sheep into town in the evening time, and there was a public corral, a public pen, or what is also called a sheepfold. And that sheepfold often had a very high rock wall surrounding it, and sometimes it would have vines growing on the top to discourage people from climbing over it. And the shepherds would bring their sheep in from the fields at night, and they would place their sheep in the sheepfold. And, and all the shepherds and all the flocks would just go in together and intermingle together. They would all, all the sheep would be mixed in together. And the shepherds would pool their money together and pay for a gatekeeper so the shepherds can go sleep. And the gatekeeper would watch all night the sheep to keep predators out and to keep thieves and robbers away. Now the gatekeeper would usually stay at and sometimes even sleep at the entrance of the gate. No one could come in or out unless they were one of the shepherds, the true shepherds of the flock. And the only way a thief could get in would be to climb over the wall because the gatekeeper would not allow anyone else besides the shepherds in. Now in the morning the shepherds would enter the sheepfold and one at a time, one at a time, each of the shepherds would go in, and they often would start singing, singing something, uh, singing to the sheep, and his sheep would kind of perk up, and then he would often call his sheep by name, 
He had nicknames, as you, as you can imagine, night by night, year by year. And most of these sheep were used for their wool, and so he's used to them, and so he would have nicknames for them, like long nose or big ears or stubby tail or something like that. And he would be calling their name, singing to them, calling their name, and all of them would perk up, and he would start out the gate, and all of his flock would follow him because they know the voice of their shepherd. All the other sheep that's not a part of that flock would remain to wait for their shepherd. It's kind of a neat picture. Now, with that in mind, with the scriptural context as Yahweh being the shepherd and the Messiah being the shepherd, in the context of, of shepherding in the ancient Middle East, let's read this text with, with that in mind. When Jesus said in verse 1, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up by another way, that would be over the wall, that man is a thief and a robber. Only the true shepherds can go through the door. So, amen, amen, this is a, wor a worthy saying. This is something to pay attention to you. Pay attention to. He says, I say to you, he's speaking to the, the Pharisees. But we can't just say he's just speaking to the Pharisees. He's speaking to all of us, too. This is written down for our benefit. He says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, because only a true shepherd would go through the door, but climbs up by another way, as in going over the wall, the man is a thief and the robber. So in this context... We are safe to assume that the thieves and the robbers in this allegory include the Pharisees and other religious leaders of Israel who have rejected Christ and are trying to lead the people of Israel to reject him as well. They are shepherding in the wrong way, in the wrong direction. They are not true shepherds. They are shepherding them away from Christ. And we know this from chapter 9 because they had decided that anyone who confesses Christ would be thrown out of the synagogue. And so they are harassing the people. They are shepherding them away from Christ. So they're not true shepherds. They are thieves and they are robbers. And this means that as false shepherds, they were enforcing an illegitimate authority over the people. J.C. Ryle wrote, The object was to show the entire unfitness of the Pharisees to be pastors and teachers of the Jews because they had not taken up their office in the right spirit and with a right understanding of the work they had to do. So the Jewish leaders were false shepherds, which is why Jesus used some of his harshest words for them, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes. Now, the condemnation of the shepherds is not new to Jesus. It can be seen in the Old Testament as well, right? I won't read the whole context, but there are a couple of places where many, several, several verses running that, that Yahweh condemns the shepherds of Israel. In Jeremiah 23, 1, it says, Woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Or Ezekiel 34, 1 through 2 the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus saith the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? So even in the Old Testament, 
God calls out false shepherds who devour the flock rather than feed them. Now, since the Lord did not hesitate in the Old Testament and the New Testament to call out false shepherds, I think it's incumbent upon us and the church today that we need to continue to do the same when we see clearly false shepherds leading or attempting to lead the sheep, but leading them in a wrong direction. The problem is that we're living in a time in which false unity is more valued than truth. So if a pastor calls out a heretic or a false shepherd today, well, he will likely get canceled from big Eva, big evangelical, right? Big evangelicalism for being too divisive. Now, I have no doubt that if Jesus were walking among us today like he did in the first century, that Jesus himself would be canceled, deplatformed, and kicked out of many churches. And he would do so under the guise that he was too divisive. Now, the, despite the continual threat of being canceled, it is the duty of a shepherd of God to defend the flock against wolves and false shepherds. That's part of the job description. And so he has to call it out. J.C. Ryle again says, Nothing seems so offensive to Christ as a false teacher of religion. A false prophet or a false shepherd, nothing ought to be so much dreaded in the church and if needful, to be so plainly rebuked, opposed, and exposed. And so the true shepherds of the church need to expose false teaching and false shepherds. I mean, just think about this. There are church leaders today, a lot of them on television, right, that make millions of dollars for their salary, uh, seven figures plus for their salary. They, they steal from the sheep to buy jets and yachts and expensive cars and two or three giant mansions. They have a summer home, a winter home, and a home in between. All of them collected from little old ladies who would send their money in or people who didn't know any better that was just deceived and they should be called out for what they are, thieves and robbers. There are also church leaders who are trying to substitute a false gospel for the true gospel. And I hate to say it, even some of the leaders who we've looked to in the past to, to, to bring us the truth have been sucked into this, such as critical race theory or intersectionality. That is not the true God. That is a false gospel. There is no salvation in that. There is no resolve in that. There's no Christ being crucified in that. And so it should not be tolerated. The shepherds who are watching over their flock need to expose it for what it is. And they need to expose wolves and false shepherds so a shepherd must be ready to publicly expose these things because sheep are prone to wander. They, they're not paying any attention. They just start eating and off they go, you know. A lot of times one sheep will not look up for a long time and he may eat his way over the, over the, the, the hill and be completely lost. That's why we get pictures of leaving the 99 to go find that one that kind of strayed away. 
And so, shepherds need to watch over because the sheep are prone to wander into dangerous territory. And there are many poisons and hazards that can not only hurt them, but kill them. I think that's the reason why a shepherd should read widely and pay attention to the things that are going on in the church world, in the regular world. He should always be scanning the horizon for any sign of predators or false prophets or false shepherds that would come and destroy the flock of God. So we see that Jesus is marking the difference between a true shepherd and a false shepherd. False shepherds don't go through the door. They go over the wall because they are thieves. Kleptos is the word. Kleptomania, that's where we get the word. Thieves and robbers. Uh, Lostos, which really has this idea of not just robbery, but using violence. Uh, An assailant who uses violence. Think about Think about the Pharisees, how they just about picked up stones to kill Jesus with violence. And then six months from now, they will kill him. So they are robbers, assailants who use violence. They're not the true shepherds. Which connects us to verse 2 of chapter 10, right? But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, we'll connect that below here next week when Jesus also says, I am the door, right? Now, verse 3 and 4 gives us the characteristics of true sheep. We know the true shepherd. He uses the door. Thieves and robbers climb over. But there is in 3 and 4 characteristics of true sheep, So in verse 3, it says, To him the gatekeeper opens, to the true shepherd, right? The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. Do you hear it? Do you hear the characteristics of true sheep? Gatekeeper opens to the true shepherd, but here we also find that the true sheep know the voice of their, of, of their shepherd. And not only do they know the voice of their shepherd, they follow him. It's also very interesting that it tells us the sheep, that, that the shepherd knows them by name. Knows every single one of his. So the sheep hear his voice, he calls out to his sheep by name, and he leads them out. So the true sheep know the voice of their shepherd, and they follow the true shepherd. So the question is, for all of us, have you heard his voice? And are you following him? And when we look at this, And he's not just talking about Israel at that time, right? He's still talking about us. We are the sheep of his pasture, right? He is our shepherd. 
So does this not answer the question how you and I became Christians, if you are indeed saved? This is how we became a Christian, right? We became a Christian because our shepherd found us. Just think of the blind man. He wasn't looking for him. He was just sitting there on the side of the road. Jesus walks by, heals him, and he becomes a follower of Christ. We became a Christian because our shepherd found us, and he called us by name, and we followed him. Now, to understand this particular calling that Jesus is talking about, we need to distinguish between the general call and the effectual call of the Lord. Jesus often gives a general call to everyone to come and be saved. That would be a call to the whole world, right? Call out everyone. And we see this general call in John chapter 7, verse 37. It says, on the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. It's a call for everyone who heard him. If anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. So this is a general call. In John chapter 10, verse 9, here's another example of a general call. Verse 9, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go out you go in and out and find pasture. If anyone enters through me, they will be saved. That's true of anyone. If anyone comes to Christ, they will be saved. If anyone enters through the door, they will be saved. So this is a general call that goes out to everyone. And if they would come to him, they would be saved. Anyone who comes to me, Jesus said, I will never cast out. Isn't that something? So if anyone comes to Christ, they can be saved. Um, I think this is also an example to us. We can't figure out who's the elect or not, can we? So we just say, if you would just believe, we say to the whole world, if you would come to Christ, if you would believe in him, you will be saved. That's exactly what Jesus did. That's our task. We can't sort them out. We don't have a clue. We just call everyone to come to Christ and be saved. This is a general call that goes out to the whole world. But if the Lord only stopped at this general call... The radical depravity of man would ensure that not one single person would respond to that call. Not one person. Why? Because we are the blind man. We were born in sin. The Bible says that we are in bondage to sin. Someone who is in shackles cannot free themselves. We are born a slave to sin, as the Scripture says. We cannot heal ourselves. We cannot set ourselves free. Nor can we produce our own faith to save us. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 tells us that faith, the faith to believe, is a gift from God. It is not produced from ourselves. But what we see here in verse 3 is something more than just a general call to salvation. We see here in verse 3 the effectual call of Christ. 
The sheep hear his voice. He calls his own, own sheep by name and leads them out. These are the words of Jesus. He calls his own. That means he has his own sheep. There are sheep of his flock, and there are sheep that are not of his flock. And Jesus even states that very fact. You can't come to me because you are not my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. So he calls his own. This is the effectual calling. Jesus calls his own. This reminds us of John 6, 37, doesn't it? When Jesus says, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. Everyone who comes to Christ comes to Christ because they have been given to Christ by the Father. Anyone who does not come to Christ, at least even past death, they do not come to Christ because they have, been, they have not been given by the Father. Now, does that mean that they're not responsible for rejecting Christ? No, they are responsible. It was a genuine call to them, if you would believe. Because of the hardness of their heart, they reject Christ. But in the end, it's... The Father who gives to the Son, it's the Son who saves the sheep, His own. Notice that this is not hypothetically everyone in the world. Some of the Arminians would say, well, His own would include every single human being. I don't think you can get that out of this text. There's a distinction between the sheep who hear His voice and the sheep who do not hear His voice. A distinction between the sheep who follow him and the sheep who do not follow him. There is a distinction between the sheep that are his and those who are not his. So his sheep, they hear his voice and they follow him. Those who are not his sheep do not hear his voice and they do not follow him. So it might surprise you and I got a little bit of trouble when I said this last time several years ago at the previous church with a particular guest in our congregation. I got a little trouble when I said this. It might surprise you that Jesus did not come to save everyone. That's a little bit difficult, isn't it? Here's... Here's what you need to think about. If he did, then you would have to admit that he has failed. Because millions and millions of people have died rejecting Christ. Not just the ones that are alive, the ones that have already died. If Jesus came to save everyone, he has failed at that mission. But that's not what the Scripture says, is it? He says in John 6, 39... And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise them up on the last day. What he said is that the Father has given me the sheep, and they will come to me, and I will lose none of them. And I will raise them up on the last day. God's not rolling the dice. He's not trying. This is not about God's attempt to try to save the whole world, but fails 
God is saving his people. And he will not lose one of them. And he will raise every single one of his sheep up on the last day. That's, that's the testimony of Jesus. Forget Calvin. Calvin only learned it from Christ. Right? Remember the angel in Matthew 1.21? The angel tells us, right? You'll call his name Jesus. Yahweh saves, right? Why? Because the angel said he will save his people from their sins. He will save his Who are his people? Well, all that the Father has given to him. In other words, another good biblical word is the elect. Right? The elect whose names were written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the world. Now this speaks of the covenant of redemption. Perhaps, if we hadn't been spending all this time Wednesday nights going through covenant theology, that term covenant of redemption would have just rolled over you. But you know what that is. The covenant of redemption is that covenant made between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before the foundations of the world, and it included the names of all the elect that Jesus would be sent to save in the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Christ. Covenant of redemption. So if you hear the voice of Christ and you follow him, you are his. How do you know if you're part of the elect? Are you following him? Do you have faith in him? Are you following him? Then yes, that's the evidence. His sheep don't hear him. They don't follow him. They don't believe in him. The evidence that you are the elect, his sheep, is that you hear him, you follow him, you have faith in him, a faith given as a gift from him to you, to use to believe in him. So it should be awful humbling to us that we didn't become Christians because we were smarter than our neighbors, right? more intelligent, morally better. No. It's humbling to know that we are Christians because the Father knew us before the foundations of the world and gave us to His Son. And that's why Jesus came. To save his people, the ones that the Father has given him, to save them from their sins, save us from our sins. It may be humbling as well to know that the shepherd knows your name. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit knew your name before any Adam existed. (laughs) That's That's wild.
Your shepherd maybe even has given you a nickname. I can't imagine what mine would be. Stubborn. Might have given somebody grumpy. Little worrier. Or little faith. He called his disciples that one. Oh, little faith. Scattered brain. Who knows what his nickname is for us. But he knows us that well. So how are we saved? Nothing that we did. We were called by our shepherd, Jesus, who already knew us and came to save us. That's how we got saved. And you can see this. This is illustrated all throughout Scripture, right? When Jesus came to Matthew. Matthew, come on. I mean, Matthew, he was a, you know... He was an outcast among the Jews, probably skimming money off top, very wealthy. Matthew, come on. He just left his stuff and followed Christ. Peter and James, just leave your boat. Come on, let's go. Zacchaeus, right? Zacchaeus, a mafia boss, basically. Skimming money and stealing from everybody. Zacchaeus, I'm going to your house. Okay, Jesus, I'm going to give back everything I stole. (laughs) Or Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He calls them by name, right? They weren't looking for him. They were going in the opposite direction, and Jesus stops them and says their name and says, come with me. That's our story. The whole point can be summed up in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6, right? When Paul says, even as he chose us in him, before the foundation of the world. Covenant of redemption. He chose us in Him, in Christ, before the foundations of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined. Oh, goodness, it's in the Bible? (laughs) Yeah. Twice here in this context, twice in Romans. He predestined us. And by the way, this doesn't mean God chooses those who choose him first. Before he looks down and sees who that doesn't that's, that completely turns around what this means. He predestined us for adoption. To himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Do you know we are saved by free will? Not ours, his. You see that again? That we should be holy and blameless in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. According not to the free will of man, according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace. And there is that highest value in the universe The Arminians, people who argue against this, will tell you all day long that God limits his sovereignty for the free will of man. That is so false. There's not one scripture to support that. The highest value in the universe is not man's free will, and God is not subservient to man's will. Not one bit. The highest value 
is the glory of God. To the praise of His glorious grace, that's why He saves us in Him, predestines us, chose us before the foundation of the world. To the glory of God, with which He has blessed us in the beloved. Don't think for a second that the glory of God means no benefit to you or I. The glory of God and the benefit of His people are one and the same. God's glory and our benefit. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's our purpose. Now in verse 5, as we wrap this up, we have the second characteristic of a true sheep. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of a stranger. So another characteristic of a true sheep is that they will not follow false shepherds. That's a tough one, isn't it? This means that the elect will not ultimately be deceived by false shepherds. On the short term, it's possible. Yes, the shepherds can be confused, misled. They will be, um, you know, kind of confused or misled for a while, but ultimately they will recognize a false shepherd between a true shepherd. Now, it's a different context, but a similar thought is found in Matthew 24, 24, when it says, Jesus says, for false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders so as to lead astray, and notice this, if possible, even the elect. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said, if possible? You know, the implication is there, it's not possible. Why? Because the sheep know their shepherd and they know strangers and they will flee from the strangers. So it, they will probably be tempted. Yeah, they might have to think about it. But it's not possible for the elect to be led astray by false shepherds. They will flee from him. A false Christian then will be one that gravitates toward unsound spiritual teaching. False doctrine and false teaching. You've seen them, I've seen them. They go from one crazy doctrine after another. Just one after another. It's like, whoa. It's, it reminds us of what Paul said to Timothy. They are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. They don't know where they're going. And that's a characteristic of a false sheep. They don't know the truth, and they just gravitate toward crazy stuff and crazy teachers. They don't follow true shepherds that rightly divide the word of truth, that feed the sheep, the word of God. And so false teachers are not only known by their teaching, they can also be known by their methods. And this is something that we really have to pay attention to today because much of Big Eva is led by pragmatism. Whatever works, not, not, not what's true, whatever it works is what's true. Remember in John 10, 1, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he, do, who, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in an, by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. So a false teacher does not enter by the door. They climb up another way. That means that they, they use other methods or techniques that the true shepherd doesn't use. See, they have to get creative and find another way other than through the door. 
things like turning the worship service into a rock concert. I don't know if you saw this, but a few months ago, a very large church, a well-known church and a well-known pastor, performed song, a song from Led Zeppelin as a part of their worship. What? And it's not uncommon for seeker-sensitive churches to play secular music before the church begins as just kind of the background music. I visited a church one time that did that. And during the worship service, it's not uncommon for them to play secular songs or even to use plays and skits as a substitute for preaching. That's not new, by the way. It was happening in Spurgeon's day, and he condemned it harshly. Many megachurches have grown to great size based purely on their marketing techniques and pleasing the crowd. People don't have discernment. They start looking for things the church offers them rather than whether they're being shed, fed by a true shepherd or, or not. They look for youth programs or children's stuff or you know good groups. They look for any other thing other than a true shepherd that teaches the truth and feeds the sheep. And people have mistakenly believed, I think because we live in the world of huge corporations, they mistakenly believe that if it gets really big, it must be God's blessing. If the church gets mega. But nothing can be further from the truth. Faithfulness is never determined by the size of the following. That's why Jesus would never be invited today to a church growth seminar. Because the more Jesus taught, the more he weeded out the crowd. So true Christians will not be deceived by all the smoke and mirrors of the charlatans of the thieves and the robbers true christians are to exercise discernment that comes from the holy spirit right romans 12 2, do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern the discernment what is the will of god for the church for your life discernment that comes from the spirit that comes through the wisdom of god's word that we will discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I guarantee if there were some solid Christians with discernment, they would know that Led Zeppelin was not appropriate in the church. So the true Christian must exercise discernment in order to ensure that they will keep following the true shepherd and not led astray by a stranger. Richard Phillips writes, Jesus calls all his sheep to follow him. Wise sheep are those who always have their eyes on him. And knowing the love of their shepherd, their chief desire is to be as close to him as possible, to hear as often as possible the joyful sounds of his calling voice, maybe even like a shepherd who sings to his sheep, right? And to follow in the path wherever, wherever he leads. 
And I guarantee you the shepherd's always going to you, lead you into uncomfortable places. Places that maybe at first blush you don't want to do or go, right? But he leads. And we as his sheep must follow. So the question this morning as we've concluded is very simple. Has the true shepherd called you by name? You say, I don't know. Well, if you don't know, the probably answer is no. Because when he calls you, he transforms you. And the evidence of your transformation is your faith in him and the fact that you follow him. You can't be his sheep and go off in your own direction. It's not possible. So are you following him? Do you have faith in him? And if not, if not, the call goes out to you. Whosoever will, let him come. The call goes out to you. Maybe today, if you hear his voice, you will not harden your heart against him. But receive him as the true shepherd of your soul. And then you'll find out you didn't do any of it. Your name was written in a book before the foundations of the world. You were given to the true shepherd by the Father. That's what you'll find out. And that truth will deepen, will humble you and deepen your worship than you even ever thought possible, right? It, it's a humbling thing. And a lot of people hate it, but to me and to some of you and hopefully all of you, it's become a very precious truth that he knew us before one Adam was created. He died for us. He called us. And we follow him. And he gives to us everlasting life in his eternal kingdom. So I hope that you have trusted in him. And if not, today you will.